you in here love watching some classic movies. By classic movies, I mean made back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. I don't want to keep going too many decades because then some of you are going to be mad at me, uh, thinking that I'm calling you old, and I'm not. Uh, so I, I have seen a lot of older movies, uh, my parents' influence in that way, and I remember one of our favorite movies growing up was Music Man. Uh, any of you seen Music Man? The original one back in the day. So not, not the new one Matt, with Matthew Broderick. That's a joke. It's terrible. It's a horrible movie. Not that one. The older one, which is back in 67? 57? Might have 57. Way back in the day. But anyways, um, the reason this movie came to my mind is because um, there's all this hope and expectation about the town. There's a buzz happening. Why? Because there's a music man in town, and he's promising that he's going to get a band going. And, and there's all these promising, budding musicians in, in the town, and he's going to gather them all together, and he's going to bring in the uniforms, he's going to bring in the insurance, they're going to have a band, and it's going to be the pride and joy of the town. So there's, there's buzz, and there's excitement. But then word gets spread around that this guy is just a charlatan. He's a salesman. He doesn't actually want to start a band. He wants you to pay a bunch of money, and then he's going to skip town and do the same thing in the next town. So then there's this uproar, and they grab him, they arrest him, they take him to, to a community center like this, and the whole town can fit in like one community center room. It's a small town, right? And they're saying, we're going to tar feather this guy, we're going to ride him out of town, and uh, we want our money back. And the mayor, he's, he's behind all of this uproar, and, and, and he says, well, if he's who he says he is, where's the band? Where's the band? I mean, I've just I've seen that movie so many times. I can quote it almost word for word. And right then, as he says that, in walks this little boy in his uniform holding a trumpet. And there's a few more that come in with their instruments. And then a few more. Next thing you know, there's a whole band that comes in, and they play this terrible rendition of a song because they've hardly practiced. They just got their instruments, but but it's music, and they're a band. And immediately the town softens. And they're like, yep, this guy's a music man. We have our band. We have the proof right in front of us. And that came to my mind as I'm looking at where we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 today. What is Palm Sunday? Oh, don't skip past Palm Sunday to get to Easter because this is the culmination of all of human history. Of God making promises to love and to care for his people to provide a way of salvation. To, to provide a king to rule over Israel, to, to tabernacle with his people, to come to them where they are in, in the flesh. And, and Jesus is coming on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem is where he presents himself officially to Israel. I'm here. So for hundreds of years, God has been silent from the book of Malachi until the birth of Jesus. There's not much from God to man. In his time and in his way, he sends the Messiah. And so the people of Israel are saying, where's the Messiah? Where's the promised one? Has God forsaken us? Is he going to keep his promises? Where's the Messiah? Where is God? And he rides into town on a donkey and he says, here I am. All of your hopes, all of your prayers, all of your dreams... Everything that you've been looking for, look no further. I am here. This is one of the most significant moments in all of human history. And we find ourselves here as well. 
How many of us have thought, where's God when I need him? Well, why didn't God answer my prayer? Or when I'm hurting, why does he feel so far away? We all have had that moment of looking forward and feeling like there is this distance here. And I'm grateful that our faith is rooted and grounded in real human history and historical events. So we can look back on the scriptures and we can say, God keeps his promises. Here he is. You can't miss him. Even if you're trying to skip past this to get to Easter, the gospel accounts won't let you. All four gospels have a record of the triumphal entry. And I chose Matthew 21 because uh, just you cannot miss the fact that this is the king presenting himself to Israel. So we're going to go to Matthew 21. I'll read verses 1 through 11 and verses 14 to 17. So much could be said, but God give me wisdom to share what I ought and nothing more. Let me read. And you read along with me. Starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that were before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children cried out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. That means they were really upset. And they said to him, Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. So the Gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience primarily to demonstrate how Jesus of Nazareth is more than just a prophet from Galilee. He is, in fact, the Messiah, chosen one of God, he is the king, sent from God. He's the rightful heir of the Davidic throne. So King David, his line, God promised there would be a, a, a ruler that comes from his line that would sit on the throne forever and reign forever, and his kingdom will never fail. So Matthew chapter 1, what does Matthew establish? Jesus has a genealogy that comes from the line of David. 
God kept his promise. And then we keep moving through Matthew, and God keeps his promises through uh, Jesus' faithfulness in the wilderness to resist temptation. And, and he teaches uh, a, a faithful righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount of how he is the righteous one. And in his kingdom, there is righteousness and peace and justice and love. And, and he talks about what that looks like. Then he heals and he performs miraculous works. And he teaches about himself and the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. He's opening hearts to the Father's work. So he's revealing his identity all throughout his life and ministry. Everything Matthew shares is pointing to the Messiah and looking forward to the cross. Why do we need the cross? Why do we need the empty grave? It's not enough just to have a king on the throne. We need a heart transformation. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, then in the next instant, once his disciples get that, oh, okay, Jesus is the king. He's come to set up his kingdom. Now I must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Matthew 16, 21. And it just rocks the disciples' world. This doesn't make sense. But this is why he came. So when we get to chapter 21, Jesus has already been setting the, the, the scene. I must go to Jerusalem. I will suffer. I will be beaten at the hands of the religious leaders. He already knows who, who his opposition is. And they're going to kill me. And on the third day I will rise. So here he arrives in Jerusalem to publicly reveal himself and to then be rejected, to die for the sins of man. So first of all, when he reveals his identity, I think on the next slide, you'll see right there off the bat, there's three aspects of who he is that he is revealing when he comes into Matthew 21. Right? So he reveals that he is the promised one. He reveals that he's the sovereign king, right? Not just the king of Israel, but the sovereign king. And he also shows that he is the healer of the nations. So, first of all, the promised one. Well, why does he tell his disciples to go ahead and get a colt and a donkey? Jesus, you have two legs. They work just fine, right? And, and Bethphage, if you're not familiar with the geography of Jerusalem, which most people aren't, that's totally understandable. It's right on the other side of the Mount of Olives, which really isn't a mount. It's, it's a glorified hill on the east side of Jerusalem. And Bethphage and Bethany are on the east side of Mount. So, we're talking a morning journey, you know, a couple hours to walk over the hill and come down to Jerusalem. He doesn't need a donkey. So what is he doing? <coughs> Matthew shows us. He is identifying himself with Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. <coughs> Excuse me. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and having salvation. He's humble. And he's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He shall speak peace to the nations. So a, a, a colt is a young donkey, not broken in, not ridden before. Uh, could hardly support the weight of a man. So it's a very specific promise. And Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. And you say, wait, isn't that cheating I mean, if that's how prophecy works, we could all do that, right? Just read in the scripture, oh, well, go ride in on a donkey. The Messiah's going to ride in. Okay, well, I could do that. Well, remember, what has Matthew been doing all up to this point? Showing so many prophecies that show that Jesus is the promised one. This is just one of hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. 
What is so significant about that? Well, there's a mathematician. His name is Peter Stoner. And he, count, he counted the probability of how one person could fulfill all of those prophecies. But instead of calculating the probability of fulfilling hundreds of prophecies, that's really difficult, he said, let's just say 48. I'll pick 48 promises from the, from the Tanakh, from the first five books of the Old Testament. And, 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 and where, does that, where does that come in? I'm sorry, not the, not the, the, okay, Tanakh is the Old Testament, not, not the, not the books of the law. My apologies there. Uh, so he calculated that, and he said, okay, if he was fulfilling just 48 prophecies, the mathematical figure is 1 in 10 to the 157th power, which I'm not a mathematician, but okay, so that's 1 followed by 157 zeros. Just 48 of the prophecies. And you say, that number is so big, how do I even calculate that? Okay, let's narrow it down even a little bit more. Let's say eight prophecies. What's the probability that someone could fulfill eight prophecies and be the Messiah? Well, let's take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars. And we're going to cover the face of the state of Texas. You're going to be able to cover it two feet deep with silver dollars. Then put a blindfold on somebody and say you have to find the one specific silver dollar in the entire state of Texas. What are the odds that that blindfolded man is going to find that? That's the probability that one person could fulfill eight of these prophecies. Jesus is the promised one. Yes. There's no way around it, and it should blow our minds and stagger us. Everything he did, the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, he had no control over that. Out of Egypt I've called my son. He had no control over that either, any more than, than my young son Micah has control of where his mother takes him today. He goes, and yet he's fulfilling prophecies everywhere he goes, and here he is again, saying, go and get the colt and bring him to me. He's the promised one. His coming is proof of that. Secondly, we see that he is the sovereign king. So he says, go get the animal. Right? This isn't, this isn't his donkey. Or is it? Or is it? If he is the sovereign one, then he's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all. So he, he says, if, if they ask you, why are you taking our young colt and his mother, you're going to say, well, the Lord has need of them. And they'll understand, and they'll let him go. How does Jesus know that they're going to be okay with it? I read one commentator, it says, this doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus was, you know, omniscient, and, you know, he, he probably just saw this, this donkey colt, or maybe they had heard about him, they were followers of him, and so it's just a very, you know, natural conversation that was happening. No, that's not the case, because how would Jesus know nothing else would come up that day? They didn't have a job that they needed that donkey for. They would still be okay with him taking them. And he didn't tell them when he was going to bring the donkey back. Right? He didn't say, oh, I'll, have back. I'll have him back by dinner. No, I just had needed them. He is sovereign over all of this. And the disciples just go and do his bidding. This doesn't make sense to me, but all right, Jesus, we're going to get this colt. He's sovereign. He's the king. And the owners are okay with that. But how many times in my life do I question what Jesus sets out to do? In my life or in the grand scheme of things. But he tells me to obey, 
and it doesn't make sense, do I just trust he is the sovereign king? He knows what is best. I do not know what is best. And out of all of us, who is the one who has never broken a promise? He's never failed to deliver. And yet, when he asks us to do a hard thing, right? Online, you know what I'm talking about. That right away. I don't know. It's a really hard thing you're asking, Jesus. And we doubt. But let Matthew 21 remind you. Let Palm Sunday remind us that Jesus will fulfill the will of the Father. He is sovereign over all. And how beautiful is it that he is riding in. The king is coming to his people. He is sovereign over all, but he doesn't have us go up the mountain to him. He comes down the mountain to us in peace, humbly, on a donkey, not on a charger, on a steed, on a big horse, and he's going to conquer with a sword. No, he comes in humbly on a donkey. And the people see this. They recognize the significance of this event. It is a messianic event. It is fulfillment of prophecy, and so they're singing a song from Psalm 118, which was regularly sung at Passover, the time of year this is happening, and thousands are flocking to Jerusalem uh, for, the, for the festival and for the sacrifices, so, so Jerusalem has swollen to hundreds of thousands of people, got its normal capacity, and the crowds are lining the road, and they're singing Hosanna to the Son of David. This is, this is the descendant, this is the Messiah we've been looking for. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we're singing your blessings from the temple. That's what Psalm 118 says. And so you just see that picture there. Because the temple's on the east side of, of Jerusalem. And he's coming down towards it. The people are singing. We welcome you. They're lining the path. John 12 tells us a little bit more about this crowd. Some of them came from Bethany. And they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. So they've never seen that before. And you and I never have either. They saw what Jesus says on the resurrection of the life. They saw what he could do. And the people in Jerusalem have heard about that. They're just a few miles away. And they're ready to see some more miracles. They're ready to welcome in this, this king. All right, we're, we're going to sing your praise. You, you are our king. And what they do is they do a couple different things. They're basically throwing a ticker tape parade back in an early Jewish day. What they do is they take off their outer cloaks and they lay them down across the road. Right, guys? They, they lay down their cloaks on the road for the donkey to walk on, to walk over. Basically saying, King, come in. Come in. You have full right of passage over us. We're paving the way with our clothing. They also cut down palm branches. Now, I'm pretty sure if I read this correctly, uh, chapter 21 just says uh, branches. But in the other gospel accounts, I think particularly John, he says they are palm branches. So, if anyone ever tells you, hey, Sarasota is a, is a taste of heaven, you can say, it absolutely is. You don't know why? Because we have palm trees, yes. palm branches. And uh, I, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but Revelation 7, verse 9 tells us that when believers from every nation ever, heaven gather to worship around the throne, what are we going to have in our hands to worship the king on his throne? Palm branches. So cut down a palm branch and, and hold on to that. Remember, God keeps his promises. But coming back to our scene here with the crowd shouting and the spectacle. Of, well, you would think the whole city is ready to receive Jesus as who he is, as the sovereign king. But no, 
by Friday, he's hanging on a cross and the crowds are jeering at him. So what happened? They didn't receive him as sovereign king. They wanted a political king. Just like Passover celebrated their deliverance from Egypt, they wanted to be delivered from Rome. Messiah, come and do what Moses did. Deliver us from a nation. Let us be our own kingdom again. And we will sing your praise. And we will call you Lord. Just give us what we want politically. Give us a better economy. Give us peace. Well, Jesus came to deliver them from their worst enemy. But it was not the Romans. The biggest threat to peace in God's kingdom is sin in the human heart. A place that no human being can go. I cannot fix my sinful heart. I cannot heal my sinful heart. And I cannot go inside your heart and heal you there. But there is one who can. The sovereign one who made all. He created the human heart. Of course, we know that sin is not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. It touches to our deepest core being. We are completely touched by the depravity of sin. That doesn't mean that I always do the worst thing possible. We're all serial killers and murderers. What that means is I can't ever assume that my thoughts are pure. I can't ever assume that my opinion is correct or that my desires are good and helpful. Everything I am is touched and tainted by sin that I was born with. And here is the creator of all who has all authority and he lays down his sword and he comes in humbly because he's going to pick up his cross and he is going to cover every sin in every heart in all of human history and provide a way so that where there seemed to be no way, we just say that, right? Where there seemed to be no way, he made a way spiritually through his sacrifice on the cross. And when he rises from the dead, he guarantees everything that I promised and accomplished, it is finished. You can have that peace when you accept by faith. That's a promise for us all. But do you believe that he is the sovereign king? Or is Jesus just a convenient person? Or, or a royal figure? Or a figurehead in your family? Or a tradition? Church is a tradition where we come together. And, or is Jesus on the throne of all? And we receive him as such. He is the healer of the soul. And that is the third way we reveal himself. And it really is a continuation of the fact that he's sovereign king. The sovereign king, thirdly, is the healer of the nations. The healer of the nations. So this is... Now we're getting into his priestly role, right? Because Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. Matthew shows clearly that that is the case. He's the perfect prophet, priest, and king. The Old Testament is full of terrible examples of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the one righteous and perfect one. So here we see a glimpse of his priestly role. So when you get to verse 12, what's the first thing that Jesus does when he gets to Jerusalem? Now, if he was an earthly king, and he was staging a coup, he would probably attack the Romans first, or go to the fortress, or go see the governor, right? See the head of state. Oh, no. Jesus has much more important 
pressing priority. He goes to the temple. He goes to the house of God, where God's presence and His laws and 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 everything that He has set up as a system of worship for people to relate to Himself is where Jesus goes. Yes, please give it up. Thank you. So, he gets to the temple, and uh, Matthew is not a chronological book, so it doesn't say it right here, but the synoptics tell us, the other gospel accounts tell us, he takes a look around, and he sees what's going on in this place that's supposed to be a place of worship. He assesses, he turns around and leaves, he goes back to Bethany, and he spends the night there, across the Mount of Olives. Then he comes back Monday morning, back to the temple, and here's where our narrative picks up in verse 21. Or, I'm sorry, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers. He overturned the seats of those who sold pigeons. People are selling pigeons in the temples? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. What is going on here? And, and why is this the first item on the king's agenda when he arrives? Because there has been some corrupt practices, not some. There have been some gross, exaggerated, disgusting malpractices going on in the temple of God. Where God's presence is supposed to dwell with his people. And his holy law is taught. And the people come and pray and seek his face. And hear from God. This is the same temple where back in it's First Chronicles 7, Solomon makes a covenant with God. He says, God, when your people come to your temple and they pray to you, and they ask your forgiveness because of your faithfulness, and because of who you are in this place, hear their prayers. And when people from other nations come, and they say, we want to see if this God is for real, we're going to pray, we're going to seek his face, meet them too. This is that temple. But people can't hear from God in this temple. All they can hear is the noisy sound of animals running around the courtyard. And, and money changers and businessmen haggling and shouting what the, what the latest prices are to buy a sacrifice in the temple. Here's how terrible things have gotten. Uh, and by the way, this isn't the first time that Jesus has cleared out the temple. So this is a pervasive problem. But uh, So there's money changers. So what was going on there was the religious leaders were, were kind of set up like a mafia group. And they had made a, made a deal with these money changers. Hey, we're only going to accept the temple tax in a coin that pretty much nobody will have here. Uh, the, 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 the regular uh, you know, Joseph and Mary, if they were to come from Galilee, they're not going to have this, this, this nickel from Tyre. So they need to give their money to the money changer, and then the money changer will give them the proper coin for the temple tax. Here's the problem, though. The money changers charge exorbitant interest, way above what a regular person would be able to afford, or it's going to make them destitute to have to do that. That's just one part of the corruption. The other part, this is even more corrupt, is the law says you have to bring a spotless sacrifice spotless uh, lamb or, or ram or doves if you were poor and couldn't afford 
uh, couldn't afford uh, a bigger animal, then you bring a, a pair of doves for the sacrifice. They would make sure that you bought your sacrifice from the temple. It's like Disney, but way worse with, with how they're trying to, to charge you for things. You have to buy your sacrifice here at the Temple Mount. Well, I brought this lamb all the way from Galilee, and it's perfectly spotless. Now, see, the priests were in on this scam, too. So the priest would look at that lamb and say, yeah, no, no, it's unclean. You need to buy one of these here in the temple. Oh, and by the way, they cost 10 times more than the one that you brought. Because, you know, worship has to be proper. Worship has to be fitting. The hypocrisy, the sleaziness, the greed. This is what people have come to think of when they come to Passover and worship God. They're not hearing from God. They're going broke. So Jesus comes in. He's the healer. He is the fixer. And he rolls up his sleeves and the king clears this junk out. He sets his house in order. He says, this is my house. Which is odd because what he, well, some might think it would be odd. What he's doing is he, he is quoting an Old Testament passage uh, that, 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 um, I'll say look, looks forward to this event. It's not necessarily a prophecy, but he's showing that that Old Testament principle is still uh, applicable today despite all the unfaithfulness of Israel. Guess what? It is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is the intent of the house. My house. But when that promise was made in Isaiah 56, 7, what's God speaking? But Jesus says, this is my house. It's my father's house. And it's my house. I am the healer. I don't just represent the healer. And I had an interesting conversation about that with a uh, Jehovah's Witness last week. And he's telling me that Jesus is just the Son of God, not God himself. He's the messenger. I'm sorry, Jesus comes in. He says, this is my house. That's blasphemy, unless he's God. And we just read in Zechariah 9.10 that, that this coming one, this coming king, will speak peace to the nations. Jesus says, this will be a house of prayer for all nations. You are driving them out. I'm here to bring them in. And he sets them straight. And he clears it out. We don't have time to go into it, but the whole rest of Passion Week, Jesus makes sure that not one animal, not one piece of money is exchanged in the whole temple complex. And the people are overjoyed. <coughs> Right? Wouldn't you be? Yeah. If you thought you were going to have to pay crazy, ridiculous prices to come and worship, and now Jesus says, come on in. It's free. Just how it's supposed to be. You bring no more than the sacrifice that the law requires you to bring. It's free. It's covered. Now, you all know that we had a baby born just last week. Well, I guess, you know, a week and a half now. The time was flying by. And in that time, we've had numerous checkups 
doctor visits or appointments of different sorts. We, uh, we have made phone calls, Lacey in particular has made phone calls for, okay, what about this? And we need to get them added to insurance and how are we gonna pay for this? And of course you all know how insurance works and, and co-pays and reimbursements and what it is to call uh, a medical hotline or, or an insurance company and they put you on hold uh, for, you know, it seems like hours and hours. 30 minutes an hour and and you're just waiting and you're waiting and there's all this hassle just to get a couple simple questions answered so think about Jesus who is the perfect spiritual healer oh and he heals physically too he heals the lame and the, and the blind who come to him but there's no hassle coming to Jesus there's no copay either because you and I cannot contribute to our own spiritual healing. Jesus pays it all. John 3.16 tells us that he came as the free gift of God to provide the one final perfect sacrifice for our sins. So all who believe in him by faith will be saved. Isaiah 53.5 tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus did it all. And yet, we're the ones that receive the healing. But we receive his gift by faith. What a gift. That's better than Christmas. He says, here I am. Here I am to heal you. And what I love about verse 14, it says that people knew they could come to Jesus for healing. The blind and the lame came to him. The same guy who can overturn the tables of the money changers and clear out corruption is gentle and meek and willing to meet with anyone who needs help. Amen. And he will heal. Wow. Do I have faith in him like that? Like he really is the healer of the nations. And he really is willing and able to hear any request of my heart at any time. There's no waiting on the phone. There's no fee you have to pay. Do I pray like that? Or do I, do I have to like calendar it out and say, well, maybe on Thursday morning, I'll spend a little bit more time in prayer. Or maybe Sunday after church, you know, I'll go for a walk and I'll pray a little bit. We have access to the king of all 24-7. And he wants us to come to him with our needs and our desires and even our wants. He says, tell me what you want. And I'll help you with that too. How convicting. So, so he's not a Sunday only savior. He's not a Sunday only healer. But in our country, we're full of Sunday only Christians. Could it be that a lot of us have not grasped the understanding of who Jesus is? Because if we really did, Sunday is not enough. I need fellowship with him every day of the week. I need to hear from him today. I need to pour my heart out to him today. I've got to share this good news with somebody today. I can't be Sunday only because Jesus is not Sunday only. And one day, Revelation 22, 2 tells us that in heaven there's the tree of life. And the tree of life will have fruit that changes every single month. And it also has leaves that will be healing for the nations. I mean, what kind of heaven is this? 
What kind of kingdom is this where even a tree, just the leaves on a tree, is healing, is sustaining? How much more so is the healer, is our Jesus? Now, our church is here to point people to the Savior, to Jesus. He's the one who meets spiritual needs. He's the one who restores. And we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to help make that happen. To help love, to help share truth, to help restore lives and broken homes. And I can't fix people's hearts, but I know someone who can. And he's given us his word and his spirit to do just that. So my encouragement to us, church, this week, whether you're in Indiana, whether you're in Florida, whether you're somewhere else, look for people who need to know that Jesus is healer. Share out of the abundance of the overflow of your own health, your own spiritual health. And I want us to be a healthy church that hurting people know they can come to us to get help. We're not going to turn them away. We're not going to charge them a fee. Come and meet with Jesus. <coughs> so the first point is the king reveals his identity. Secondly, and this is our final point, the king provokes a response. You have to see that the king provokes a response. Verses 15 to 16. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that I've just described to you, the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were furious. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. Or you have prepared praise for thyself. Is another way that that, that, that phrase has been, been translated. So what's going on here? Jesus coming into Jerusalem, presenting himself as king. Why does he come on so strong? And why does he clear out the whole temple? And why does he confront the corruption and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Because he knows, I came to die. I came to be the sacrifice. And the way he's going to get to the cross, when he's the most popular man in the city on, on Sunday, is because he is going to provoke and demand a response from the people. And there's one of two responses, and we see that in verses 15 to 16. The chief priests and the scribes reject Jesus, and they refuse to bow the knee. They refuse to worship him. In fact, they say, the audacity. Can, can you believe even in the temple, in the temple of all things, children are praising Jesus like he's God or something. Jesus, are you hearing this? You better stop this. This is, this is blasphemous. And, and Jesus doesn't bat an eye. He says, yes. Haven't you read the Bible? <laughs> I love that. Haven't you read the Bible? Psalm 8 says, even out of nursing babies, which is quite something, because nursing babies don't hardly know anything that's going on, but out of even nursing babies, you have prepared praise for thyself. Well, Jesus says, not only do I hear it, I accept that worship. I am Yahweh God. Psalm 8 is all about Yahweh. How majestic is your name? You're higher than the heavens. You're higher above all things. How majestic is your name over all the earth? Some of us have heard that verse so many times. 
Jesus says, yeah, that's me. Why wouldn't they? So the, 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 you, you just know that the Pharisees are going to hate that with every fiber of their being. And now they're plotting to kill him. They've already plotted to kill him before, but now their forces are united. Because here's the thing about Jesus. And I've got a quote up here by Tim Keller. He says, Jesus cannot be just liked. His claims make us either kill him or crown him. There's no in-between with Jesus. If you meet anybody that says, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher, or Jesus was a nice guy, or, or Jesus was a prophet, they don't know Jesus. They need to listen to who Jesus says he is. Because when he presents himself, you either bow the knee, or you want to nail him to the cross. And that's what's going on here. The children are praising Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. Oh, that we would have that childlike faith. Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David. You just hear them singing as they're skipping around. And meanwhile, the Pharisees are over there plotting, how are we going to kill this guy? He provokes a response because he is the king. And no one wants to bow the knee to the king. We weren't born that way. Who do we want to worship as king overall? Me. me. And my pride and my sin blind me from seeing how selfish I am. Everything is about me, and I'm at the center of my universe. So it's no wonder that Jesus got crucified on Good Friday. Because we were never going to bow the knee. It's the whole reason we needed a Savior to begin with. So Israel that killed all the prophets of God when he spoke in the Old Testament, we're just trying to get God to shut up and get out of my life, because I know it's best. And here's God in human flesh telling them what to do, what to believe, and who he is, and we're going to kill him too. Because we're wicked. And we're haters of God. But Jesus knows this. He came humbly. He will suffer. Without standing up for himself. Without defending himself. Without being his own legal counsel. He'll answer not a word before his accusers. Just like a lamb led to the slaughter. He's the king over all. And when we respond and we reject him, all we're doing is helping God keep another one of his promises to save a wicked people who need him, even when we don't admit it. What a good and gracious king. And this morning we praise him because we have chosen to respond in repentance and faith. We've asked him to forgive us our sins. We said, oh, King Jesus, we need you. You're our only hope. We love him. And because he's our king, we devote every part of our lives to our king. He paid a heavy price for that. And we want to remember that sacrifice. We are thankful for what he did on the cross. And so this morning we get to observe the Lord's Supper together. We will break bread and we will take the juice and remember what Jesus did for us. And I'll give you just a moment there. Our worship supplies in the back if you've not had an opportunity to... <coughs> Uh, to get that for yourself, it'll help um, as we prepare to um, to observe the Lord's Supper. But, but Pastor Dennis, would you be willing to come up and, and lead us in remembrance of communion?